I'm Anna Webb. This is A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr Binks, you're going to be nine in a couple of weeks. And guess what? You've never had a bath. Some of you might be thinking, oh my. But you see, you've got a very thin coat. And when you first arrived, you were practically bald. Somebody once called you oven ready. Anyway, we're about to jump on Zoom and learn more about grooming with the guru himself, Colin Taylor, part of the BBC show Pooch Perfect. Hi, Colin. How are you doing? Really good. All the better for hearing your voice and for you being up for being on A Dog's Life. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's very timely, isn't it? Because there's this super programme on the BBC at the moment called Pooch Perfect, which you're on. Absolutely. Every single Thursday, 8pm, BBC One. And um, yeah, I'm just getting used of... Um, seeing myself on TV and my parents are too. My parents are in their 70s and 80s and they're like, oh, you know, we just, it's weird seeing you on TV. I'm like, well, at least you get to see me because I can't come and visit you. (laughs) It's perfect, isn't it, really? Um, So this show, it's following that kind of bake-off tradition, isn't it? Where, or a master chef idea where every week one contestant gets knocked out. That's correct. There are four heats. So you'll see four heats of four different groomers. Um, four different groomers in each one. Then you have two quarterfinals, one semi-final, and then the final. So we're this week coming, we're going up to the last of the heats. You will see your last four groomers, and then uh, unfortunately two go home and two get to stay and go through to the um, quarterfinals. So, yep, it's exciting, and this week is Poms. So I'm really excited about Poms because they are a very popular breed little hairy things. I know, I, I'm particularly fond of poms. In fact, the, the episode that's actually out now as we're, we're talking is all about a pom. Um, he's called Burly Bear. And uh, I think you might approve with Burly Bear only because he is groomed so that his top coat remains. What does that mean exactly? So basically what they're saying is there is a lot of, you know, talk when you... Um, you know, a, a lot of people like the boo cut. Now, the boo is a very famous Pomeranian, you know, which does look absolutely adorable when you look at him. But the downside is when you clip or you cut into what I would say the wood of the coat, which means right down to the root, um, that can cause problems and interfere with regrowth. So when you see palms walking around, they have patchy coats or ball patches. It's normally from them being clipped down or being cut very, very short and the coat doesn't grow back. So when you say this one gets a top coat or left, it means they're getting a traditional Pomeranian um, trim, which is just, you're giving them shape, you're not taking them short. Because you've been grooming dogs. How long have you been grooming dogs for, Colin? I've, I've been grooming dogs for 35 years. I wanted to be a primatologist and work with gorillas, my biggest dream as a kid, I went to London Zoo and I was in love with Guy the Gorilla and I used to go there and stare at him all the time. And, um, but I didn't have, wasn't very good at school. I didn't do well in biology and all that. And, you know, I worked in a pet shop and a woman came in and bought nail clippers and told me she was a dog groomer. And that's when the seed was planted. And I thought, you know what? If I don't do this, what the hell am I going to do in my life? I have to find something. And, um, I worked at a pet shop, which was great, and I loved it. 
But, you know, cleaning out guinea pigs and rabbits wasn't necessarily a lifetime choice of a career. I wanted to do something, you know, and be good at something apart from the egg and spoon race at school. Because grooming, you, you obviously were really there at the beginning of what now is, is a huge industry. Absolutely. You know, I, I remember as I uh, 15 years old is when I went to grooming school. And I remember going to school and on the bus, the 282 bus going, going through Norfolk in London. I remember a poodle parlour and it was called the poodle parlour. And um, it was on the roundabout of Norfolk. And I remember, and it's still there to this day. And you used to see poodle parlors or grooming salons scattered around, but not like it is today. I mean, it has literally boomed from where we've gone from, a, you know, a good amount of groomers to literally thousands. And what do you think spurred this? I mean, for me, am I right in thinking it's the proliferation now of doodle designer crossbreeds? Well, that certainly has, and I'm going to say helped as far as, you know, giving people a good living. It certainly has been a part of that because when I went to grooming school, it was literally cocker spaniels, poodles, old English sheepdogs, them types of breeds. And now we are getting into that, um, you know, that era of, you know, labradoodles, cockapoodles, golden doodles, um, pouchons, um, schnoodles. I mean, everything with a poo and a, sh on a, on a doodle on the end of it. And um, you know what? I mean, to be fair, there are some amazing people that really do go out of their way who do breed them to breed beautiful dogs and for temperament and for coat or whatever it may be. Um, you know, and once again, there's a lot of people that complain about it and there's a lot of people that are all for it. So, you know, yes, I, I do think it is, is because of the increase of dogs and people getting dogs. Mm, and could it be also part of this, people tend not to walk their dogs all the time. So is it partly that, well, we can't walk our dog, so we can't bath our dog either, can't clip their nails, we must get somebody else to do it. Whereas before, back in the day, you know, people did those sorts of things themselves more. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I do agree. I think people, they brush their dogs, they used to do their nails, and because we used to sell lots and lots of nail clippers. And, you know, and, and you're right, you know, that they kind of, you know, it's got to the stage where I always tell people, look, I'm there to make your dog look beautiful every six weeks or four, uh, four or five to six weeks. It's your job in between times to, you know, you know, create a bond with your animal or dog or cat or rabbit, whatever it may be, and brush it and take care of it. It's part of your job. It's not about just having this object which you love and cuddle and all that kind of stuff and you're thinking oh my god it's matted but i don't want it you know be shaved down when it's fluffy people do have a responsibility owners when it comes to having a pet walking going to the vets going to the groomers whatever it may be absolutely you might pass out if i mention this i've got a little both my dogs you see colin are smooth coated dogs and i think for me i like a smooth coat everyone's got their own favorites don't they i mean for me if i had the choice of a, a wirehead fox terrier or a smooth coat fox terrier i choose the smooth but it, it's interesting you don't see any smooth coat fox terriers in fact they're they're one of the 23 vulnerable british breeds that are sadly facing extinction i find that 
that a bit odd, but one of my dogs, Mr. Binks, who is a rehomed English toy terrier, you know, so he's very small. He's a bit like an Italian greyhound in shape. He's nine in two weeks' time, Colin, and he's never had a bath. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, you know, if I was, if I live closer to you, I might come over and <laughs> have your hand. But, you know, but, I mean, it, it is one of those things where I'm sure looking at you, you're very glamorous, you are. And, you know, Stop it. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't imagine you sitting on the couch with your dog and it stunk. You know what I mean? So, I, I, you know, I think, you know, people, you know, I mean, I look at Coleman, my husband, I'm like, you know what, Jigsaw needs a bath, okay? And Jigsaw hates a bath, but he gets somewhere whether he wants one or not. Because, you know, he does sleep in our bed and he does sit on the couch. It is, I mean, we bought him this bed and he doesn't even go on it because he's like, I don't want to go in that bed on the floor. I want to go on the couch with you guys. So, yes, you know, and I'm, there is a hygiene issue. I mean, on the other hand, just so you don't think I'm completely nuts, um, Prudence, my my miniature bull terrier, also a smooth coat breed, has a bath probably uh, at the moment almost every day as she has a propensity for rolling in the most stinky, disgusting mm -hmm. stuff. And she's really good about it. She knows the drill. She knows when she's done it as well. And so she knows when we come home, it's straight to the bathroom where she sits. She isn't. She doesn't move. I lift her into the bath. She sits she doesn't move she is really as good Aww. as gold with this kind of look of shame or maybe i'm anthropomorphizing her that she's got this look of i know i shouldn't have done this and, and we do it and we bathe and then i pop her in a great fleece product i use called equifleece so that it stops all the water going everywhere because i live in a one-bedroom flat and a wet dog can cause havoc to your decorations so she stays keeps everything like under control with the fleece on i mean i simply couldn't afford to take her to a groomer every other day colin <laughs> well, and you know what? I think when it comes to smooth coated breeds, you know, there's no reason why a person can wash and, you know, towel dry their smooth coat at home and let them dry naturally. Because actually, to be fair, you put the fleece on, which is incredible because they are amazing. Mm. But, it's all, but it's also good for the skin to let a dog dry more naturally, just like they say with us. You know, we get out of the shower. Um, you know, and we towel dry ourselves, you know, which in reality we should, as unpretty as it may sound, stay there and, um, you know, drip dry, so to speak, because it's supposed to be good for your skin. And I tell people with dogs, you know, you don't necessarily want to always dry, dry their coat with a dryer. That's interesting. Something I was going to ask you, you know, so we were talking about Pomeranians a minute ago. And as you know, um, Queen Victoria really brought the Pomeranian into the UK from, from Germany in sort of mid 1850s. And it occurred to me when planning this, this chat, you know, how on earth did she then groom her poms i mean because there, there was no electricity well there was no electricity and plus you know and i mean i don't even know what kind of grooming equipment they had it's not as if she can go on amazon and book you know buy herself a brush no. home you know so but i i mean i i imagine you know what when it came to grooming i mean even if a dog was to sit on your lap and you know as well as i do with smooth coats you pet the dog you stroke the dog and before you know it you've got a handful of hair you know, so I imagine in some way they must have, you know, thought, oh, you know what, if I brush my hair, obviously maybe I can use the brush on the dog. I don't really know exactly what she did, but there must have been some ways. And also, you know what, let's face it, you know what, years and years ago, you take your dog to the lake, they jump in the lake, you let them dry naturally, or, you know, you hose them down the back garden, or they probably just gave the dog a bath. I mean, who knows if it was in cold water, warm water, you know, we've just done things differently now. We've 
we humanize dogs to the point where they are our children. I mean, a lot of people call them fur babies. It's a little bit of a pet peeve of me. But if you want to call it a fur baby, I am, I'm not going to judge. Um, but you know what? That's what we've done. We've, we've taken these dogs in. We have, they are part of the family, which I totally agree. Jigsaw is totally part of our family. He's our, he's our, our, our kid. And I guess that's no different than a fur baby. As a groomer, there's a lot of serious aspects to it, isn't there? You know, for example, you can look over the dog. You might be able to spot some health conditions with that dog before the owner perhaps has noticed, you know, a lump maybe somewhere and then suggest to the owner that the dog might need to go to the vet for a checkup. Or you might be able to tell a lot about the health of the dog from the poor quality of its coat, maybe, you know, and maybe suggest a different diet for that owner to help correct a very dry, itchy type of coat. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, like, like you just said, you know, well, me personally, and when we teach people, we teach groomers to give a visual health check. And basically that is checking the gums to make sure they're pink. Um, obviously, you don't want white gums. Um, and obviously, you don't want two, like two red gums either, because that could be problems with the teeth. You're looking at coat, you're looking at um, the claws, you're looking at the pads, you're looking at all types of things. And also, you know, when people ask, regarding coat it looks dull in color you know the first thing we're going to say is okay it could be a shampoo it could be as simple as that or it could be more of like a diet thing i mean you know when i think about diets i'm on one i've been on one for probably about 40 years um, <laughs> i went through and got a intolerance check and to see what i'm allergic to i was amazed what i was allergic to so you know probably people are feeding their dogs food and I mean it could be an allergy towards the food or it could be just a very cheap food and the, and dog you know and let's face it you know if a dog's hungry enough it's going to eat it doesn't mean yeah. that, it doesn't mean to say it's good for it no, no, that's right. I mean, one of, one of my big bugbears at the moment actually is uh, trying to make a dog be a vegan. Uh, I don't know what you think of that, Colin, and what that might actually do to a dog's skin and coat. Um, well, you know what? Hey, I, I always say to people, just because you are a vegan or you are, you know, whatever, a Buddhist, whatever it may be, doesn't mean to say you should necessarily push it upon your children and certainly not necessarily your dog. Because you know what? You've got to be careful. If you have a dog and you've been feeding it a certain food for so many years and that food is doing very, very well for that dog, then you don't want to be changing it drastically. And I think people, it's important when they have a puppy that they look into what's the best for their dog because you feed your dogs raw, don't you? I do actually, yes. As a canine nutritionist, I, I honestly believe that's the best way to go or a home-cooked diet. Um, but where... Oh, my bugbear is, is is a lot of heavily processed foods, really. And indeed, this vegan trend, which is, it is a trend, as dogs are carnivores, and we mustn't forget that a dog is a dog. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's really, really important. And, you know, what? once again, you know, when it comes to, it's like my dog, he's 14 years old. He's getting to the point where, you know what, he will eat his food or he will want, doesn't want the food. So we make sure... But, you know, if we cook him chicken and, you know, and or, you know, ground beef, he likes raw ground beef and and certain, you know, and all that, all this kind of things. So, you know, but at his age, I literally will give him whatever he will eat, but I'll make sure it's good or at a high grade. I'm not going to give him just rubbish. 
um, because, you know, I'm wanting to eat good things. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Well, you are what you eat at the end of the day. And, and the reason we eat, I would say it's a bit like the reason you put petrol into your car. It's to keep you going, to fuel you at a cellular level. So you want the best nutrition for the best health. But yes, Colin, it's interesting. But we've we've seen so many trends like with eating, but also for wellness products for dogs, just as we've got moisturizers, face masks, mud baths, salt baths, all of these things things, you know, to keep us young in the main. Have you seen that that trend's transferred to dogs? Absolutely. There are some big companies out there what do lots of lots of moisturizing creams for dogs coat with carotene and different ingredients in. There's dog face, there's facials. And you know what? Some of the products I am really, um, I enjoy them. If they, you know, if they got carotene, it's good for the hair and the skin. I'm all up for it. When it comes to like gimmicks and, um, you know, I don't, people don't like you know, shoot me here, but, you know, I mean, to give a dog a facial, a shampoo facial, you're basically using a different shampoo just to wash its face with a different scent in it. And I have to say, but you know what, you don't necessarily want to have shampoos overly scented. And if it is scented, was it, you know, what is it scented with? Is it a, a natural oil, an essential oil, or is it natural chemical? Not to say there's anything bad about chemicals because there's good and bad. And, you know, a dog can be still allergic to a natural product. So, you know, yes, to answer that question, yes, there, there are, there is that crossover between more beauty products coming into the dog grooming world. So it's not just shampoo and conditioner. There's lots of other things. No, I know. Because there was um, a groomer on the Finchley Road. I don't think they're there anymore. And I took my first miniature bull terrier, Molly, along one day for a bath. They, they invited um, us over. It was very nice of them. They wanted us to try out, well, for Molly to try out, not me, their new mud wrap bath, you know. So she was literally smeared with this mud that was very precious mud that was actually put on racehorses to really sort of stimulate the circulation in their legs after a race and really pamper horses that, you know, have been working very hard. So Moles was wrapped up. She, she looked like the turkey about to go into the oven because then she was like um, wrapped in tinfoil and then her little face was just poking out of this great big tinfoil. Her fur and everything was lovely afterwards. Do you do things like that? Mostly in America, like we used to give dogs hot oil treatments, poor balm treatments, and put like a balm on their paws so if they got kind of you know like you know dry paws just soften them up a little bit um obviously massages we did lots and lots of massages and you know obviously in america it's very different because they do lots of add-ons people will pay the money for it so if you have a doggy treadmill people are going to pay for a doggy treadmill if you have a massage routine they're going to pay for the massage routine if you have reflux you know reflexology they're going to do that too so it's very easy over there to do that. In the UK, um, it will definitely be an area um, thing of whether it will work or not, because you have to buy into it first and, you know, and, and kind of you know, think it's going to work. So, yes, I've done it. You know, I've even painted lots and lots of dogs' nails um, with, with doggy nail polish and nail varnish. And, uh, yep. and once again, that was mostly in America. Yeah, you spent a long time in the States. What made you come back? <laughs> my parents, well, they're still alive, by the way, and I've been back here for 
just over 10 years. And it got to a point where I was there and I'm thinking, you know what? If I got a phone call saying that one of my parents had passed away, how much would it bother me? I know that sounds terrible and you can totally put this in because they wouldn't care. But it got to a point where, you know, when you're away from somebody for so long, it it's kind of like, you know, that kind of feeling's gone and that bothered me. So I wanted to come back, reconnect with my folks to make sure I was still in the wheel. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, no, it makes total sense. I mean, you are a yeah. very long way from home. But being in America must have given you the edge, really, on the grooming market, you know, as a competitor groomer yourself. Well, you, you know, the, the, there's one thing I learned in America, and that is, first of all, there's no second and third place. And second of all, <laughs> customer service is everything. And it is so, so true. And I have to say, when I came back to the UK, I am very Americanized. My husband's American, and I'm very Americanized. And I am a, a customer service snob. And you know what? But I tip. If, if I have incredible service, even with an Amazon driver, I'm going to give them a Christmas tip or something. Because you know what? I appreciate a person who has a smile on their face and who appreciates you giving them business. And... I came back to England, I'm thinking, my God, you know, it's almost it feels like that you're doing them an injustice, you know, giving them money for, you know, to earn a living. And um, so I learned that customer service is key, in my opinion. So are you um, a groomer that will then, because of that, put a little bow in, uh, say it's a Shih Tzu, for example, tie a little top knot with a pretty yeah. bow that's branded? Always put, we always put bows in the girls and sometimes blue bows in the boys and always bandanas in the boys. And if it was Hanukkah or Halloween or Thanksgiving or Easter, whatever holiday it was, they had a bandana to go with that holiday. So, and it's kind of like, you know, that's your trademark. When you see a dog walking down the street, I can say, you know what? That's my grooming because they're my bows. That's my bandana. And that's my groom. And it's, you know, it's how you set yourself apart from the person down the street. Because a lot of people think that grooming, is, grooming a dog is grooming a dog. It's so not. Everything, everybody's different. It's a little bit like going to the cutting barn to Vidal Sassoon. You, you know, you are going to see a big difference in style. Yeah. And so when you're employing a groomer, obviously the skill is to be able to bathe a dog and handle a dog. But how a lot of people might think, well, that's, that's easy. But is it? No, it's not. So, you know, the number one um, thing I'm told when I'm teaching is, oh, my God, I didn't know it was going to be so hard. And I didn't know, you know, this was going to be more about handling than grooming. And it is when you can handle a dog and gain that respect and also respect the animal, the job becomes easier. And then you obviously you do have to learn how to do that initial groom. But it is about the handling. It is about the bond. It's about the respect. You know, with me, it's like, you know, people say to me, oh, you must love dogs. I'm like, well, actually, I love all animals. And I respect all animals. I love my dog. But when Mrs. Smith brings her dog in, I'm there to respect her dog, not play with it, not speak in a high voice. I'm there to do a job and make a living. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I want people when they come for a job to be able to do the dog I put in front of them on their table, but handle it with respect, um, get it done in a timely fashion, and, and obviously do a good job and do it with a smile on their face too. 
and I, I guess have a really deep interest in dogs about learning about some behavior signs that might give them a clue that they're feeling perhaps a bit stressed out and so you can then adapt the grooming accordingly give the dog a little bit of space or just reward with a treat you know with calming signals for example which I'm mad about you know <laughs> explain um, how they can help you groom your dog better by understanding a calming signal well you know so, I mean I mean to be really honest I've always said to groomers it's important to always have a routine when you groom a dog so if I have a routine I know when I get to the head and tail that dog knows it's nearly going to be done with the groom because I've come to the head and tail and that's the last thing I do however if I have a dog who has um, some stress issues or anxiety issues I'm going to break that routine and I'm going to adapt to the groom to satisfy that dog's needs so, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, if you have a dog on the table, for instance, and the dog is having a hard time, they do have panic attacks. It could be a thing when it comes to turning on a blaster and the noise could put it into a panic attack where the dog will um, cry at, at a very loud rate and sometimes even poo and pee on the table because they're nervous. And you do literally have to stop what you're doing, turn everything off, and you've got to calm that dog down. What would your advice be then to owners that are taking on a breed that does need regular grooming? What would you say to them to help train their, their dogs to just go into a groomer's and be absolutely laissez-faire about it all? Well, first of all, you have to get the dog started at 16 weeks. And it's not about their haircut, it's about desensitizing them to the noises, to the smells, to the handling, to the whole situation. This dog is gonna see a groomer, it should every, every single six weeks of its life. So it's important that they start off on the right foot. And also, when you find that groomer, don't, you gotta stick with that groomer. Don't like give them a call one day and say, Colin, can you get my dog? And I'll say, I'm sorry, I can't do it today. Okay, I'll call some, somebody else. Because calling somebody else is only gonna not be right for that dog that dog is used of me grooming that dog so that dog wants to have that same experience the same handling the same shampoo the same water pressure everything it could be something very very simple you know if you change something that could that could really be detrimental yeah i, I totally agree something that is a little bit controversial and i'm kind of on the fence about this but i feel i should bring it up is you know the competitions that are mostly in america i think where groomers enthusiastically compete to be best groomer and to do that they'll often have a standard poodle and they'll groom this dog to make it look like a tiger or a lion or a zebra and use hair dyes yeah so yeah i mean obviously living in america i used to go to all the shows um the the biggest show in the world is hershey in pennsylvania the hershey show and that has the sunday is their biggest drawer of people and that is the creative competition now i also sit on the fence i have total respect for these groomers um, is it something I would do personally? No, it's not. Do I think it's cruel? No, I don't. These dogs are loved like nobody's business and they are treated like kings and queens. And um, what people have to realize is these colors um, normally are their, their brand of um, hair dye made purely for dogs. Um, we do not promote putting any kind of bleaching agents on a dog. Um, or any kind of human products, not even a human shampoo, I don't recommend on a dog because the pH is different. But when it comes to colors, these are all animal friendly colors. And once again, yes, it is extreme, 
but it is for a certain type of person. Yes. I remember a journalist rang me years ago to ask my opinion on this. And she said, don't you think it's cruel, Anna, to dye a dog pink? And I said, well, not really, because um, from a dog's point of view, other dogs will see that dog as brown because dogs don't see colour in the same way that we do. That's interesting. And uh, you're absolutely right. And you know what? You know what? Dogs do not. I mean, let's go back to just washing a dog. If you was to wash one of your dogs, but not the other and you, this is a prime example because you don't ever wash your little tiny one no uh, he's not. very bald colin i hope you'll meet him one day when I life would, gets back I, to book. i would love to meet him but they often treat a dog differently just from the smell so if you've got a clean dog and a dirty dog they normally get randy and all that kind of stuff because the other dog smells clean dogs will act different normally with smell not with a color where they have with sight because like you said they see differently it's only from humans where they get the reactions of excitement or, you know, oh my God, that's crazy. And the cameras come out. I mean, I've seen dogs in color, just a pink poodle walk down the strip of Vegas. And my God, I swear to God, that dog would probably get more attention on one side of the street than Celine Dion would get on the other. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> different. Yes. And building on from that, what's all this Asian fusion grooming that's hitting everyone by storm at the moment? What is it? Because I don't know, because I don't groom my dog, so they, they can't have a, a, an Asian fusion gut because okay. <laughs> they haven't got any hair. <laughs> okay, so Asian fusion comes all the way from countries like Korea, Japan, China, and it is basically taken from um, Japanese anime. So anime characters cartoon characters with big eyes and a smiley face. Um, when you really think about it, it is because, you know, and working in Asia myself, I worked in Hong Kong for, for um, over a year, and um, people really do, really do baby their dogs. They've always got their dogs under their arms or in pushchairs, or they got little clothes on the dogs. So Asian fusion was created so you could put a jumper on a dog so they got the body very very short and then they have these big flary legs and this really really cute face personally it is one of these things where it's like mama you either love it or you hate it the legs being flary you have to make sure you brush 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 because they are flary so they will mat up but the faces they do have these big eyes and this smiley look so it is about the expression, it is also, you know, like I said, taken from Japanese anime. Um, and I thought, a lot of people thought it would be a fad in England. And um, actually, it's not. It's gone on like crazy. People come in with their phones, with Google, and they say, I want my dog to look like this. I'm like, well, you, first of all, you don't even have that breed. But hey, whatever. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out on something as you're talking, you know. I'm feeling left out of this whole sector of, of dogdom. <laughs> but one thing uh, I, I found a bit, oh, when I watched Pooch Perfect was the teddy bear cut. Yep. You know, because there's there's a lot of a lot of issues, obviously, as we know, that many people don't get the dog, the right dog for their lifestyle or they get a dog and they have no idea of the commitment or they will get a particular breed, for example, say a cockapoo, because it looks like a teddy bear. But actually, in reality, a cockapoo is a very highly tuned gun dog and it's nothing like a teddy bear. And I, for me, I just worry that the teddy bear cut is making turning dogs into teddy bears, which they're absolutely not. But I fear that some people might actually think that they are. 
Well, you know what? I mean, first of all, the teddy bear cut has been around, oh my God, ever since I've been grooming. So ever since the 80s. Right. So, you know, a teddy bear cut can, was originally for your mixed breeds or breeds not done to breed standards. So you would have a Shih Tzu and it would, that for a dog show would be full coated down to the floor. But for a pet trim, let's do like a clip and scissor teddy bear trim. So now what they've done is because of obviously you've got all these dogs with a lot more coat and a lot more people love the coat to be on these dogs, these breeds. Um, they said, okay, we want them scissored all over. So they've, it's not. It's nothing new. The teddy bear trim. It's just been um, put on more, more breeds and mixed breeds. And I get what you're saying, but a teddy bear trim, basically in layman's terms, to me is a scissor all over trim with a cute face. But they just named it. And they, right. It's always, it's always been called like you could do a poodle in a teddy bear trim. It just means you don't clip the feet and the, or the face. Right, I get it. I get it. See, a poodle is a breed I'd love, love to to own one day, and perhaps even learn to groom myself, Colin. Maybe you'll teach me. <laughs> oh, could you imagine me? I think me and you would be laughing more than actually grooming or teaching. I mean, I think you'd be a lot of fun to be around. But <laughs> poodles are amazing. Um, but if you're going to get a poodle, get a standard. And I yes. would say, and the only reason why toy poodles are very, very small, and I would be scared, I would roll over on it. Um, the miniature poodles, they're yappy and, um, standard poodles are probably one of the most intelligent dogs in the world. Absolutely. No, the poodle is very, very bright, very bright indeed. And they're, they're, they're quite comical as well, which I love because they've got a, I like a bit of independence and personality, but tell me about Jigsaw. Is he a Bedlington, Colin? He is a Bedlington mix with a whippet. And um, I'll give you a quick little story um, how I got him. He's a rescue dog. I was um, went to a Bedlington breeder in Manchester, and I they were from working stock, so I didn't. I wanted one with a little bit more coat, and um, so I left that breeder, and I got lost in Manchester. And cut a long story short, I saw a man washing his Harley Davidson pickup truck, and next to it was a cage. And this was in the summer of 2007 when it was really, really hot. And I stopped, complimented the truck, and then I said, oh, what's that? And he goes, oh, that's a puppy. If you, you, if you want it, it's 100 quid. I'm like, oh, gosh. like, I'm like no thanks. I walked, I, I walked away, and Jigsaw looked at me, and he had blue eyes. I'm thinking, that dog is young. And I said, how old is that dog? And he went, he's, he's, he's eight weeks old. I'm like, mm. I said, I'll give you 75 quid. And he went, all right. So I give him 75 quid. I picked up Jigsaw. He had a massive belly, probably full of worms. He had blue eyes. He was probably around five weeks old, I imagine. That's what the vet said. And I put him in my back of my truck. It, it was a closed-in, but it wasn't in the back of the truck. It was in my cab in, in, in thing. Because I bought this beautiful cage, this you know soft crate with toys for my, my brand-new Bedlinson, which I was expecting to pay £1,800 for. But I drove home... <laughs> <laughs> a 75-pound dog. With a lurcher. <laughs> With a lurcher who, you know what, oh, my God, if any dog behaviour saw me, he was, I used to take him to Greenwich Park every day when I lived in London, and, my God, he would take off like a bat out of hell, um, chasing people, and I'd be like, I'm so embarrassing. I'd be like, jigsaw. <laughs> and um, now he's 
14 and just stays next to me in the woods and he's absolutely fine oh oh it's the journey you go on with dogs i, I do love the bedlington mix actually it makes a great dog. there's loads around um on the hackney marshes it's a very uh -huh. popular cross isn't it at the moment well, you know what? Absolutely. I mean, they are really popular. I do panic sometimes. Well, not necessarily now because Jigsaw's 14, but before and um, but before when he was younger, I would always panic about dog thieves. And I remember when I was on your um, you and Joe's show last week and I was on the end of you talking about dog thieves. And oh, yes. uh, it, it was really weird because I was talking to my neighbour and I said, maybe we should buy some bear mace because if you're in America, we could buy bear mace and actually spray them if they try and steal your dog. But that's a whole, that's a different show. <laughs> that's a different show, isn't it? No, definitely. Well, they certainly need some kind of consequence, these dog thieves. Uh, but that's another, another story, really. But Colin, would you say that Pooch Perfect truly represents an average day in an average groomer's life? Absolutely. Um, I was very, very particular when taking on this role, but it had to have content, it had to have education. Obviously, it had to have some humor. This is a family show, we have to remember, but it does. These are everyday groomers, which are meeting dogs for the first time, which are pet dogs. Some are, you know, some are of perfect weight, some are a little bit podgy like me, some are this, some are that, and that's what we deal with every single day. And um, some have a lot more coat, some don't. And you have to, these groomers are incredible because they're doing what they, you know, they're doing the best job what they can with the dog they have in front of them. And, you know, so, so absolutely, it does represent what we do every single day. Oh, it's brilliant. Well, I can't wait to watch um, this week's episode, actually, Colin. And thank you for this chat. And I hope you come back and talk again. I've had a great chat. Thank you so much. Mr. Binks, that's our show. What did you think? As I thought you'd be quite pleased that you've never been to a grooming parlour. I don't know. Maybe we should try and dye you pink. I'm only joking. And I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app because we're on all of them. Also, rate and review us as it really helps other dog lovers find us. Thanks also to my producer, Mike Hansen at Pod People UK. Of course, Big thanks to Colin Taylor and all his handles and information. You'll find them in the show notes. For more about me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. And why not check out my new website, annaweb.co.uk. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, we will be back for another episode next week. So why don't you subscribe now so you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Pod people.